0: Who, then, is this? The Gospel readings from this section of Mark describe the remarkable and unique authority of Jesus. Last week, Jesus showed his authority over the forces of nature, calming the storm on the sea. In between that episode and today's passage, Jesus exercises authority over supernatural forces in the story of the Gerasene demoniac. And in today's reading, he shows his authority over disease and death. Each of these incidents should cause us to ask, who then is this who acts with such authority? One writer called this chapter of Mark's gospel the St. Jude chapter. St. Jude, you'll recall, is the patron saint of lost causes. And in each of these episodes, people find hope in Jesus when all human hopes are gone. The whole narrative that we just heard may have taken place over only an hour or two, But the story it describes is one that we live out over the course of our whole lives. And what it teaches is all about faith, about the nature of faith, the growth of faith, and the object of faith. The passage is actually two stories that are sandwiched together. And what we find as these two stories develop is that they play off of each other, the middle one adding suspense and making room for faith to grow in stages. The passage begins with Jairus, a leader of the synagogue, falling down at the feet of Jesus and begging him to heal his daughter, who is at the point of death. But as he walks with Jairus to his home, his story is interrupted by a woman who has suffered from a flow of blood for 12 years. And the woman's affliction was severe, not only the physical suffering, but because it would have made her continually unclean under the Mosaic law, She would have also suffered from alienation from family and society. And she was clearly at her wit's end. She had tried every means she knew of to get well, spending all her money on doctors who only made her situation worse. Tradition says that the evangelist Luke was a physician, and commentators have noted, not without some amusement, that when Luke tells a story, he leaves out Mark's reference to the woman suffering at the hands of many doctors. (laughs) The woman hears about Jesus, perhaps about his remarkable power to heal, and so she sneaks up behind him in the crowd in the hopes that by touching his garment, she might be healed. By doing so, though, she was taking quite a risk, since under the law, touching his garment would have rendered him unclean as well. But to her surprise and delight, rather than becoming unclean himself, Jesus heals her of her affliction. He makes her clean. At first glance, this might not seem like a prime example of faith. It may seem more like desperation. But faith at its core is trusting God, believing in God's promises, in his promise to heal and save. It need not be some Herculean effort It's not the size of our faith that matters, but its presence. Remember, Jesus said, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can move mountains. The woman in this story had exhausted all her options. She was desperate. Her faith may not have been great in size, but her belief that God could save her prompted her to act on that faith, however tentatively. Sometimes when we feel helpless, The best we can do is sneak up behind Jesus, as it were, and reach out our hand for him. And though God will not leave us there, he honors that expression of faith, often beyond our wildest dreams. So, the nature of faith is trusting God. And as with any relationship, growth in faith happens as we experience God's faithfulness, as we experience that faithfulness in our own lives and in the lives of others. In this story, we see faith growing in both the woman and in Jairus. The woman begins with a desperate, can't hurt to try type of faith. In fact, it seems almost superstitious. But although Jesus honors whatever faith she has, he doesn't leave it there. He wants to see her faith grow. So he stops the crowd, rushing to the dying child, and asks, who touched my clothes? Just think about how strange that would have sounded to the crowd traveling along. But what he was doing was important. He was giving the woman an opportunity to grow in her faith, to move from desperation faith to a more steady faith in God's power to heal and save. For unless these experiences lead us into a deeper relationship with God, it's always possible to explain them away after the fact. This reminds me of a scene in the Coen Brothers' film, O Brother, Where Art Thou? The protagonist, Ulysses Everett McGill, is an escaped convict who's trying to get home to his family on a journey through the deep south that mirrors the story of Homer's Odyssey. When his two traveling companions and fellow convicts find religion and are baptized, he ridicules them. But then the law finally catches up with him on the road and as they await execution, he gets down on his knees and prays to God. He asks for forgiveness and pleads for help as the gravediggers sing in Old Spiritual. Just then, a huge deluge of water comes rushing through the valley, sweeps them all away, convicts and executioners alike. When they swim to the surface, Delmar, one of the convicts, says, a miracle! It was a miracle! But Everett doesn't miss a beat. Don't be ignorant, Delmar. I told you there was flood in this valley. There's a perfectly scientific explanation for what just happened. And this is always the temptation we face when we experience God, to find some natural explanation that will explain it all away, anything to avoid a confrontation with our maker. The woman in our story could have appealed to superstition or coincidence, She might have thought, well, it's been 12 years. It's just about time. But Jesus wanted her to see more clearly that it was not a coincidence or magic, but her faith that made possible her healing. He wanted her to see the object of her faith more clearly, to see him not as a passing wonder worker, but face to face. He wanted a relationship. Because of her affliction, she had been alienated from society. But look how Jesus addresses her. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Through faith in Jesus, she now finds herself welcomed into the family of God. Well, Jairus is also challenged to grow in faith. Imagine what he must have been thinking while Jesus took his time looking for the person who touched him in the crowd, waiting patiently for the woman to come forward. He must have been going out of his mind, Jesus, remember my daughter, the little one who's on the point of death? We're kind of in a hurry here. Whenever we find ourselves in this position, it would be good to remember the story. For one of the results of his delay is that the woman tells the whole truth about her condition and healing, and by doing so, also bears witness to the power of Jesus. And Jairus is the beneficiary of her testimony. When news of his daughter's death comes, Jesus can simply say, do not fear, only believe. The story suggests that Jesus' faithfulness to the woman is supposed to function as the ground of Jairus' faith in the present. And this is an important lesson for us to learn. We grow in faith when we allow God's past faithfulness to ground our present faith and our future hope. Through this interruption, Jairus is being challenged to move from a faith in God's power to heal to a faith that believes Jesus' word even in, the faith, even in the face of death. If you saw Mother Marcella's ordination this past week, you'll remember at one point she lied down prostrate before the bishop. This was a way for the soon-to-be-ordained servant of Christ to show her allegiance to Jesus. It is a profound act of faith, because we believe that Jesus is the ultimate object of our faith. As Paul says, all the promises of God find their yes in Him. It's also a beautiful image of our faith. We do not always know where our path will lead, what joys or struggles await us. We don't even reliably know our heart's true desire, but when we have experienced God's faithfulness in the past, and we trust God when he says that his promises find their fulfillment in Jesus. So like Jairus and the woman in our passage, we fall at his feet and throw ourselves on his mercy. What God does not promise is that we will never suffer loss. Every Christian, I think, has had the experience of praying for healing or recovery only to be disappointed by failing health or death. Even these two daughters from today's gospel reading, though they were saved from affliction and death in this instance, would of course eventually die. Our faith is not in one who avoids all suffering and death, but in the one who has triumphed over suffering and death by walking through them. You know, I'm not entirely sure why Jesus says to the mourners, the child is not dead, but sleeping. But I think, among other things, he was telling Jairus how to believe, how he was to look at his daughter through the eyes of faith. One reason I love this passage is that it is a picture of our Christian hope writ small. Jesus, the good shepherd, comes to this child lying dead, bereft of all human hope, and calls his little lamb back to life. Talitha means lamb. This is the resurrection faith into which Jairus was challenged to grow, into which we are called to grow. And this is how God would have us regard all those who die in faith, resting in peaceful sleep, Until that day when our Lord takes us by the hand and says, Little lamb, arise.